Peter Pan by James M. Barry, Chapter 10, The Happy Home. One important result of the, the brush with the pirates on the goon was it made the Redskins their friend. Peter saved Lily from a dreadful fate, and now there was nothing she and her braves could, would not do for him. All night they sat above, keeping watch over the home under the ground and awaiting the big attack by the pirates, which obviously could not be much longer delayed. Even by day they hung about, smoking a pipe apiece, and looking almost as if they wanted tidbits to eat. They called Peter the Great White Father, processating themselves, dying down before him. He looked like this tremendously, so it was not really good for him. The great white feather, he would say to them in a very lordly manner as they groveled at his feet, is glad to see the canonically warriors protecting his wigwam from the pirates. Me, Tiger Lily, a lovely creature, would reply. Peter Pan, save me. Me, his very... Nice friend, me no, let pirates hurt him. She's far too pretty to cringe in, in his way, but Peter thought that it, it, his Jew, he would answer condescendingly. It is good, Peter Pan has spoken. Always when he said Peter Pan was spoken, it meant they must now shut up. They accepted it humbly, in that spirit, but they were by no means so respectful to the other boys, whom they looked upon as just ordinary braves. they say how do to them and things like that. And what annoyed the boys was that Peter seemed to think this was all right. Secretly Wendy sympathised with them a little, but she was far too loyal a housewife to listen to any complaints against father. Father knows best, she always said, whatever her private opinion must be. Her private opinion was that the Redskins should not call her a squaw. We have now reached the evening that has to be known among what was to be known among them as the night of the nights because of its adventure and their upshot. A day as if it quietly gathering its forces been almost uneventful, and now the Redskins in their blankets were at their, la- their posts above, while below the children were having their evening meal, all except Peter, who had gone out to get the time. He the way you got the time on the island was to find the crocodile, and then stay near him till the clock struck. The meal happened to be a make-believe tea. They sat around the board, guzzling in their greed. And really, what with their chatter and incriminations, the noise, as Wednesday said, was positively deafening. To be sure, she not mind noise. To be sure, she did not mind noise, but she simply would not have them grabbing things, then excuse themselves by saying that the tootles had pushed their elbow. There was a fixed rule that they must never hit back at meals, but would should refer the matter of dispute to Wendy by raising her arm politely and saying, I complain of so-and-so, but what usually happened was that he forgot to do this, or did it too much. Silence, said Wendy, when for the twentieth time he told them, that they were not to all speak at once. Is your mug empty? Slightly, darling. Not quite empty, Mummy, slightly said, after looking at into a measuring cut mug. 
He hasn't even begun to drink his milk, Nibs interposed. This was telling and slightly seized his chance. I complain of Nibs, he cried, not probably. John, however, had held up his hand first. Well, John, well, I sit in, may I sit in Peter's chair, as he is not here. Sit in father's chair, John, when he was scandalised. Certainly not. He's not really our father, John answered. He doesn't even know how a father does till I showed him. This was, this was a grumbling. We complain of John, cried the twins. Tootles held up his hand. He is so much the humblest of them. Indeed, he was the only humble one, uh, that Wendy was specially gentle with him. I don't suppose Tootles said differently, defiantly, bashfully, eternally. That I could be father? No, Tootles. Once Tootles began, which is not very often, he had a silly way of going on. If I so, if I can't be father, he said heavily, I don't suppose, Michael, you would let me be a baby? No, I wouldn't, Michael rapped out. He was already in his basket. As I can't be a baby, Tootles, said, getting heavier and heavier and heavier, do you think I could be a twin? No, indeed, replaced the twins. It's awfully difficult to be a twin. As I can't be anything important, said Tootles, would any of you like to see me do a trick? No, they all replied. Then at last he stopped. I can't really, I haven't any really, any hope, he said. Hateful telling bloke outside again. Slightly he's coughing on the table. Twin began with cheesecakes. Curly's taking both butter and honey. Nibs is speaking with his mouthful. I complain the twins. I complain the Curly. I complain the Nibs. Oh dear, oh dear, cried Wendy. Oh sure. I sometimes think that spinsters are to be envied. He took them to clear, told them to clear away, and sat down to a work basket, a heavy load of stockings, and every knee of the hole in it as usual. Wendy we most scolded. Michael, I'm too big for a cradle. I, I must have somebody in a cradle, he said, almost tartly. You are the littlest. A cradle is such a little, a nice homely thing to have about home, house. She's sewn, while she sewed, they played around her, such a group of happy faces and dancing limbs lit up romantic fire. It had become a very familiar scene, this, in a home under the ground, but we're looking on it from the last, on it for the last time. There was a step above, and Wendy, you may be sure, was the first to recognise it. Children, I hear your father's step. He likes you to meet him at the door. Above the redskins crouched people before Peter. Watch, well, braves, I have spoken. And then, so often, before the gay children dragged him with, from the tree, his tree, as so often before, but never again, he brought nuts to the boys as well as the correct time for Wendy. Peter, you must, you just spoil him, you know. When Wendy simmered, exaggerated a smile. Oh, old lady, said Peter, hanging up his gun. It is me. Told mothers are called old ladies, Michael whispered to Curly. I complain of Michael, said Curly instantly. The first twin came to Peter. Father, we want to dance. Dance away, my little man, said Peter, who was in a high good humour. But we want you to dance. Peter was really the best dancer among them. We pretend to be scandalised. Me? My old bones would rattle. And mummy too. What? Quite Wendy? The mother of such an awful dance?
on a Saturday night, slightly insinuated. It's not really Saturday night, at least it may have been. For they had long lost count of the days, not always. If they wanted to do something special, they said this was a Saturday night, and then they did it. Of course it's Saturday night, Peter, when he said, relating. People of our, of our, figure Wendy, but it is only among our own prodigy children. True, true. So they were told they could dance, but they must put on their nighties first. Oh, old lady, Peter said aside to Wendy, warming himself by the fire and looking down at her as she sat turning her heel. There is nothing more pleasant than an evening for you and me when the day toil is over than to rest by the fire with the little ones nearby. It is sweet, Peter, isn't it, Wendy? said frightfully gratified. Peter, I think Curly has your nose. Michael takes after you. She went to him and put her hand on his shoulder. Dear Peter, she said, with such a little large with such a large family, of course I have now passed my best. But you don't want to exchange me, do you? No, Wendy, certainly he did not want to change. But he looked at her uncomfortably blinking, you know, like one not sure whether he was awake or asleep. Peter, what is it? I was just thinking, he said, a little scared. It's only make-believe, isn't it? That I am their father? Oh, yes, Wendy said proudly, formally and properly. You see, he committed apologetically, it would be, make me seem so old to be their real father. But they are your hours, Peter, yours and mine. They're not really, Wendy, he said, looked, asked anxiously. Not if you don't wish it, she replied, and she distinctly heard his sigh of relief. Peter, she asked, trying to speak firmly, what are your exact feelings to about me? Those of a devoted son, Wendy. I thought so, she said, when I sat by herself at the extreme end of the room. You are so queer, he said, frank, frankly puzzled. Tiger Lily is just <laughs> the same. There's something she wants to to be, to be, to me. But she says, it is not my mother. No, indeed it's not, Wendy replied with frightful emphasis. Now we know why she's prejudiced against redskins. Then it is, what is it? It isn't for a lady to tell. Oh, very well, Peter said, a little nettled. Perhaps Tinkerbell will tell me. Oh, yes, Tinkerbell will tell you, Wendy reported, retorted scornfully. She's an abandoned little creature. Here Tink, who was in the bedroom at his dropping, squeaked out something impotent. She says she glories in being abandoned, Peter interpreted. She had, he had a sudden idea. Perhaps Tink wants you, wants to be my mother. You silly ass, cried Tinkerbell, her passion. She had said it so often, and Wendy needed no translation. I am almost agree with her, Wendy snapped. Fancy Wendy snapping, but she been much tired and she knew little she knew little knew what was to happen before the night was out if she had known she would not have snapped none of them knew perhaps it was best not to know the regrets gave them one glad hour as if they had the last hour on the island let, let us rejoice that there were there were sixty glad minutes in it they sang and danced in their nightgowns just such a delicacy creepy song it was, in which they pretended to be frightened at their own shadows, little wintering 
about that so soon shadows would close in upon them for whom they would shriek in real fear. So uproariously gay was the dance that now they buffeted each other on the dance bed and out of it. It was a pillow fight rather than a dance, and when it was finished, the pillows insisted on one more, one belt more, like partners who knew now they that they ne- may never meet again. Who know they may they may never meet again. The stories they told before it was time for Wendy's good night story. He even slightly tried to tell a story that night, but the beginning was so frightfully dull it, that he appalled not only the others but himself. And he said happily, "Yes, it's a dull beginning." I say, "Let us pretend what it that it is the end." Then at last they all got into bed for Wendy's story, the story they loved best, the story Peter hated. Usually she began to tell the story. He left the room, or put his e- hands over his ears. A bossy had done either of these things this time. They might be still on the island, but tonight he remained on his stall, and we see, we shall see what happened. Chapter 11, Wendy's story. Listen then said Wendy, settling down to her story with Michael at her feet and seven boys in the bed. There was once a gentleman. Oh, rather, he had been a lady, Curly said. I wish he'd been a white rabbit, said Nibs. Quiet, said Mother, admonished. Caution them. There was a lady also, and... Oh, Mummy, cried the first friend. You mean there's a lady also, don't you? Is she not dead? Is she not dead, is she? Oh, no. I'm awfully glad she isn't dead, said Toodles. Are you glad, John? Of course I am. Are you glad, Nibs? Rather. Are you glad, Twins? We are glad. Oh, dear, cried Wendy. Little less noise there, Peter called out, determined that she w- should have her the fair play, have a beastly story, it might be in his opinion. The general's name, Wendy continued, was Mr. Darling, her name. Her name was Mrs. Darling. I know them, John, said to the annoying the others. I think I knew them, said Michael, rather doubtfully. They were married, you know, explained Wendy. And what do you think they had, white rabbits? cried Nips, inspired. No, it's awfully puzzling, said Toodles, who knew the story by heart. Quite, Toodles. They had three descendants. What's their descendants? Well, you are one twin. Did you hear that, John? I'm a descendant. Descendants are only children, said John. Oh, dear, oh, dear, was so Wendy. Now these three children had a faithful nurse called Nana, but Mr. Darling was angry with her and chained her up in the yard, so all the children flew away. It's an awfully good story, said Nibs. They flew away when they continued to Neverland, where the lost children are. I think they did. I just thought that they, they, they did. Curly spoke insightfully. I didn't know how it is, but I just thought they did. Oh, Wendy, cried Twittles. Was the one a lost child? Children called Tootles? Yes, he was, in a story. Hooray! I'm in a story, Nibs. Hush! Now I must go. want you to consider the feelings of our happy parents. With all their children flown away. Oh, they all moaned. Oh, they were not really considering the feelings of unhappy parents. One jolt. Think of the empty beds. Oh, it's awfully sad. Twin first twin said cheerfully. I don't see how... It can be have a happy ending," said the second twin. 
Do you, Nibs? I'm frightfully anxious. If you know, knew how great is a mother's love, Wendy told him triumphantly, you'd have no fear. She now came to the part that Peter hated. I do like a mother's love, said Toodles, hitting Nibs with a pillow. Do you like a mother's love, Nibs? I do, just, said Nibs, hitting back. You see, Wendy said complacently, our heroine knew that the mother would always leave the window open for her children to fly back, so they stayed away for years and had a lovely time. Did you ever go? Did they ever go back? Let us know," said Wendy, bracing herself for a wise effort. Take a peep into the future. They all gave themselves the twists and makes peeps into the future easier. Years have rolled up by. Who is the elegant lady? Certain age, alighting at London Station. Oh, Wendy, who is she? Cried Nibs, every bit as excited as if he didn't know. Can you believe it? Yes, no. It's the fair Wendy. Oh, and who's the fur two noble holy figures accompanying her, now grown to men's estates? Can they be John and Michael? They are. Oh, see, dear brothers, says Wendy, pointing to all upwards. There is the window, still standing open. And, oh, now we are already worse, fly faith in the mother's love. So up they flew in the mummy. To the mummies and daddies, a pen cannot describe the happy scene over which we draw your veil. That was a story, and they were all pleased with it, with it as the fair narrator herself. Everything was just as it should be, you see. Off we skipped like the, like the most heartless things in the world, which is what children are, but so attractive we are, have instantly, entirely selfish time. Then we have need of special attention. We know we turn of it. Confident we shall be rewarded instead, instead of smacked. So great indeed was their faith in the mother's love, they felt they could afford to be callous for a bit longer. But there was one who knew better, and when he finished, he groaned a hollow groan. What is it, Peter? she cried, running to him, thinking he was ill. She felt him soliciting lower down than his, than his chest. Where is it, Peter? Is it? It is what isn't it isn't that kind of pain, Peter replied darkly. What kind is it? Wendy, you're wrong about mothers. They all gathered round him in a fright. So alarming his agitation, with a long conjure, he told him that he had hitherto concealed concealed. Long ago he said, I thought like you that my mother would always keep the window over me. So I stayed away for moons and moons and moons. Then flew back, the window was barred from the window. Mother had forgotten all about me. There was, there was another voice, little boy, sleeping in my bed. I'm not sure that it was true, but Peter thought it was true. It scared them. Are you sure mothers are like that? Yes. So th- this was the truth about mothers, the toads. Still, it is best to be careful. No one knows so quickly as a child when he should give in. Wendy, let's go, get, get, let us let's go home, cried John and Michael together. Yes, he said, clutching them. Not tonight, asked the lot of boys, bewildered. They knew in what they called their hearts that one can get on quite well without a mother, and that is only the men of others who, can't, who think that you can't. At once, Peter repl- Wendy replied resolutely the horrible thought that had come to her. Perhaps mother is, 
in the half morning by this time. A dread made her forgetful what must be Peter's feelings, and she said to him rather sharply, Peter, will you make the necessary arrangements? If you wish it, he replied as coolly as she had asked him to pass the nuts. Not so much as sorry to lose you between them, is he not mind the parting he was going to show her? With Peter, they neither did he. But of course, we cared very much, and were so full of wrath against Cronuts, who, as usual, was spoiling everything, that as soon as he got inside his tree, he breathed intentionally quick, short breaths at a rate of about five per second. He did it this because this is saying in Neverland that every time you breathe, a grown-up dies, and Peter was killing them off vindictively as fast as possible. Then, having given the necessary instructions to the Redskins, he returned to the hound, where an unworthy scene had been enacted in his absence. Panic-stricken, the thought of losing Wendy, a lost prize advanced upon her threateningly. It would be worse than before, she came, they cried. We shan't let her go. Let's keep her prisoner. Aye, join her up. In her extremity, an instinct told her to or which of them to turn. Tootles, she cried. I appeal to you. Was it not strange? She appealed to Tootles. Quite the saddest one. Grandly, however, did Tootles respond. For one moment he dropped his steadiness and spoke with dignity. I am just Tootles, he said. And nobody minds me. But the first who does not behave to Wendy like an English gentleman, I have blood him severely. He drew back his hanger, and that instant his son was at noon. The others held back in easily. Then Peter returned. They saw at once they would get no support from him. He would not keep no girl in Neverland against her will. Wendy, he said, striding up and down, I have asked the Redskins to guide you back, guide you through the woods. A flying tyres, you see. You so. Thank you, Peter. Then he continued, in a short, sharp voice of a, one customer be obeyed. Tinkerbell will take you across the sea. Wake her, Nibs. Nibs had to knock twice before he got an answer. Though, though Twink had really been sitting up in bed, listening for some time. Who are you? How dare you? Go away, she cried. Are you... You are to get up, Tink, Nibs cried, called. I take Wendy on a journey. Of course Tink had been delighted to hear that Wendy was going, but she was jolly well determined not to be a courier. And she said so in still more offensive language. Then she pretended to be asleep again. She isn't she says she won't, Nibs exclaimed, aghast at some such insubordination whereupon Peter went sternly towards the young lady's chamber. Tink he whacked out. If you don't get up and dress at once, I will open the curtains, and we shall see you in your negligible nightgown. This made her leap to the floor. Who said I wasn't getting up? She cried. In the meantime, the boys were gazily, very full on Wendy. Now, quick with John and Michael for the journey, but this time they were dejected, but not merely because they were about to lose her, but also because they felt she was going off to the, to. Something nice of which they had not been invited. No, 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 novelty. I was beckoning them as usual, crediting them with a nobler feeling. Wendy melted. Dear ones, she said, I, "If you will not come with me, I feel most sure I can let my get my father and mother to adopt you. 
The invitation was meant specifically for Peter, but each of the boys was thinking exclusively of himself. At once they jumped with joy. But don't you, they, you, they, they think of us rather a handful? Nibs asked in the middle of his jump. Oh no, said Wendy, thinking rapidly out. It will happen mean having a few beds in the drawing room, so we can be hidden behind the screen. They can be hidden behind the, screen, the screens on the first two Thursdays. Peter, can we go? They cried imploringly. They looked, took it for granted it, that he wanted. They, they went. He would also. But he really, they scared, they really, they really scarcely needed, cared. Thus children were never ready for novelty knocks to the desert and desert their dearest ones. All right, Peter replied with a bitter smile, immediately rushed to get their things. And now, Peter, Wendy said, thinking she had got everything right, I'm going to give you your medicine before you go. She loved loved to give them medicine and doubtly gave them too much. Of course, it's only water, but it's out, it was out of a bottle, and she always shook the bottle and counted drops, which gave it a certain medical quality. On this occasion, however, she did not look at Peter, his draught portion, just, for just as she would have prepared it, she took a look on his face and made her heart sink. Get your things, Peter, she cried shakily. No, he answered, pretending indifference. I'm not going with you, Wendy. Yes, Peter, no. To show her that departure would leave him unmoved, he skipped up and down the room, playing gaily on his heartless pipes. She had to run about after him, though it was rather undignified. To find your mother, she coaxed. Now, if Peter quite had a mother, he no longer missed her. He could do very well without one. He'd thought about them out and remembered only their bad points. No, no, he said, told Wendy decisively. Perhaps she would say I was old and just always be the little boy and have fun. But Peter, no, to the others, so the others had to be told. Peter isn't coming. Peter's not coming. They gazed blankly at him. There's sticks over their backs and on each stick a bundle. They first thought it that if Peter was not going, he'd probably change his mind about letting them go. But he was far too proud for that. If you find your mothers, he said darkly, I hope you will like, they will like, you, you will like, hope you will like them. Your full cynicism of this made an uncomfortable impression, and most of them began to look rather doubtful. After all, their faces said they were not noodles to want to go. Now then, cried Peter, no fuss, no blubbering, goodbye, Wendy. And he held his hand cheerfully, quite as if he meant really to go now, for he had something important to do. She had to take, she had to take his hand with no indication he would prefer a trimble. You will remember about changing your flannels, Peter, she said, lingering about over him. She had always so particular about their flannels. Yes, and will you take your medicine? Yes, there seemed to be everything. An awful pause followed. Peter, however, was not the kind that breaks down before the other people. Are you ready, Tinkerbell? He called out. Aye, aye. Then lead away. Tink darted up the nearest tree, but no one followed her. For it was at this moment the pirates made their dreadful attack. Upon the redskins, above them all, all they had been. Her steel in the air was rent and shrieks and a clash of steel. Below was the dead silence. Mouths opened and remained open. Wendy fell on knees, but her knee- arms were st- 
extended towards Peter. All arms extended to him. If he suddenly blown in his direction, they would beseech him moodily not to desert them. As for Peter, he seized his sword, the same he thought he had slain Barbecue with, and with the lust of, ba- of battle, and the lust of battle was in his eye. Chapter 12. The children carried off. The pirate attack had been a complete surprise, a sure proof that the unscrupulous hook had conducted it improperly, to the surprise redskins fairly, beyond the wit of white men. All the unwritten laws of savage warfare is always the redskin who attacks with the willingness of his race if he does it just before dawn, at which time he knows the courage of the whites to be slow as ebb. The white men have the meantime made a rude stockade on the summit of yonder undulating ground, at the foot of which the stream runs, for it is destruction to be far too far from the water. They all they, where they would wait this onslaught. The inexperienced ones clutching the revolvers and treading on twigs, but the old hands sleeping tranquilly until just before the dawn. Through the long black night the savage scouts ring wriggle snake-like among the grass without stirring a blade. The brushwood closes behind them as silently as sand into which a mole was died. Not a sound to be heard or save that they gave vent to a wonderful invitation of the lonely call of the coet. The cry is answered by other brays, and some of them do, do uh, and some of them do it even better than the coyotes, who are not very good at it. So the chill hours wore on, and long suspenses horribly trying to beat to the pale face, who has to live for it for the first time. But a trained hand, whose ghastly calls are still ghastly silences, are not intimative of how the night is marching. This was the unusual procedure, was so well known to the hawk disregarding it. Here we cannot be excused on a plea of ignorance. The penitentiaries on their part trusted impeccably to his honour that the whole action of the night stands out marked contrast of it to his. They left nothing undone that was consistent with the reputation of their tribe, with the alertness of their senses, which is once a marvel despair of civilised people. They f- knew that the pirates were on the island from the moment one of them trod on a dry stick. In an incredibly short space of time, the cody cries began. Each foot on the ground be- between the spot where Hook had landed in falsism, home, be- 